Welcome to Voice of the Blue, brought to you by the American Police Hall of Fame in Titusville, Florida. The Police Hall of Fame and the United States Law Enforcement Foundation, where bold vision and hope align to create a better tomorrow for all law enforcement and the communities they serve by strong advocacy, hard and soft skills training and education, and their many programs of compassion. To learn more, please go to uslef.org or aphf.org. Thank you for joining us today on Voice of the Blue. Uh, We speak here about uh, police officers, their profession, the challenges they face, the impact of the profession upon them, and today is certainly no different. Uh, Police officers are part of a challenging and demanding profession, and their life expectancy can and is indeed affected by various factors in that profession. The two primary ones seem to be stress and mental health, which is very real for them. They deal with terrible situations often. They have to view horrible scenes. They have to meet face-to-face with the worst of the worst, The uh, what I bet my friend Bill Mitt calls the underbelly of society, people who have chosen a life of violence and crime over one of productivity and uh, being a a contribution to the society around them. And they have to meet up with these people often face-to-face. And a lot of times those encounters are very brutal, they're very violent, and they leave a lasting effect upon the officers. They often are encountering high-stress situations, and it does take a toll on their mental and physical well-being. Life expectancy for police officers, even after they have survived a career as a cop, is surprisingly short, up to 22 years less than the average citizen out there. And it is due entirely to all of the stress and the, uh, the mental health issues that come with being a police officer. Their lives are in grave danger often, especially when they're flying down the road in an attempt to stop somebody who is exhibiting careless disregard for the safety of those around them. And what's worse is that there is often extreme violence at the end of the chase when cop and criminal meet face to face. And this type of stress is not something the average citizen will ever have to face, but we ask such from our brothers and sisters in blue on a daily basis. And a perfect example of such a story is the story of Sergeant Tim Grammons from back in 2012, who was a police officer in a department in Illinois. And for lack of a better way of expressing this story, I'm going to read an article by Mr. Charles Rimsberg, which was uh, uh, published in the online police magazine, Police One. And the title of the article is, Why One Cop Carries 145 Rounds of Ammo on the Job. This is from April 17th, 2013. And here it is. 
Before the call that changed Timothy Graham's life forever, he typically, typically, I'm sorry, carried 47 rounds of handgun ammunition on his person while on duty. Now he carries 145 every day without fail. Grammans detailed the gunfight that caused the difference in a gripping presentation at the annual conference of the Association of SWAT Personnel, Wisconsin, 2012. At the core of his desperate fight was a murderous attacker who simply would not go down. Even though he was shot 14 times with 45 ACP caliber ammunition, six of those hits in supposedly fatal locations. The most threatening encounter in Graman's nearly two-decade career with the Skokie, Illinois Police Department, just north of Chicago, came on a lazy August afternoon in 2008 prior to his promotion to sergeant on his first day back from a family vacation. He was about to take a quick break from his patrol circuit to buy a Star Wars game at a shopping center for his son's eighth birthday. An alert flashed out that a black male driving a two-door two white car had robbed a bank at gunpoint in another suburb 11 miles north and had fled in an unknown direction. Grammons was only six blocks from a major expressway that was the most logical escape route into the city. Unknown at the time, the suspect, a 37-year-old alleged gangster disciple, had vowed he would kill a police officer if he got stopped. He radioed that he was joining other officers on the busy expressway lanes to scout traffic. He was scarcely up to highway speed when he spotted a lone black male driver in a white Pontiac Bonneville and pulled alongside him. He gave me, Graman said, the look, that, oh crap, there's the police look, and I knew he was the guy. Grammons dropped behind him. Then, in a sudden last-minute move, the suspect accelerated sharply and dangerously, swerved across three lanes to traffic, uh, of traffic, I'm sorry, to roar up an exit ramp. Grammons radioed, I've got one running. The next thing he knew, bullets were flying. That was four years ago, Grammons said, yet it could be ten seconds ago. With Grammons following close behind, siren blaring and lights flashing, the Bonneville zigzagged through traffic and came around corners into a quiet pocket of single-family homes a few blocks from the exit. Then a few yards from where a 10-year-old boy was skateboarding on a driveway, the suspect abruptly squealed to a stop. Grammons said he bailed out and ran headlong at me with 9mm Smith & Wesson in his hand while I was still in my car. The gunman sank four rounds into the hood of his Crown Victoria while Grammons was still drawing his 45 cal Glock 21. He said, I didn't have time to think about backing up or even ramming him. I saw the gun and I engaged. Grammons fired back through his windshield, sending a total of 13 rounds tearing through just three holes. A master firearms instructor and a sniper on his department's tactical intervention unit, Grammons said, I was confident at least some of them were hitting him, but he wasn't even close to slowing down. The gunman shot his pistol dry, trying to hit Grammons with rounds through his driver's side window. 
but except for spraying the officer's face with glass, he narrowly missed and headed back to his car. Grammons, also empty by then, escaped his squad car, which he referred to as a coffin in that particular incident, and reloaded on his run to cover behind the passenger side rear of the suspect's Bonneville. Now, the robber, a lanky six-footer, was back in the fight with a three eighty Bursa pistol he'd grabbed off his front seat. Rounds flew between the two as the gunman dashed toward the squad car. Again, Grammons emptied his pistol and reloaded. He said, I thought for sure I was hitting him, but the shots kept going through his clothing. It was hard for me to tell for sure. This much was certain. He kept moving and kept shooting, trying his damnedest to kill me. In this free-for-all, the assailant had, in fact, been struck 14 times. Any one of six of those wounds in the heart, right lung, left lung, liver, diaphragm, and right kidney could have produced fatal consequences in time, Grammons emphasizes. But time for Grammons, like the stack of bullets in his third magazine, was fast running out. In his trunk was an AR-15 and an overhead rack inside the squad car, a Remington 870 12-gauge shotgun. But, re but reaching either was impractical. Grammons did manage to get himself to a grassy spot near a tree on the curbside of his vehicle where he could prone out for a solid shooting platform. The suspect was in the street on the other side of the car. I could see him by looking under the chassis. I tried a couple of ricochet rounds that did not connect. Then I told myself, hey, slow down and aim better. When the suspect bent down to peer under the car, Grammons carefully established a sight picture and squeezed off three controlled shots in rapid succession. Each round slammed into the suspect's head, one through each side of his mouth and one through the top of his skull into his brain. At long last, the would-be cop killer crumpled to the pavement. The whole shootout had lasted 56 seconds, Grammon said. The assailant had fired 21 rounds from his two handguns. Inexplicably, but fortunately, he had not attempted to employ an SKS semi-automatic rifle that was lying on his front seat, ready to go. Grammon's had discharged 33 rounds. Four remained in his magazine. Two houses and a parked Mercedes in the vicinity had been struck by bullets, but with no casualties. The young skateboarder had run inside, yelling at his dad to call 911 as soon as the battle started, and also escaped injury, thank God. Despite the fusillade of lead sent his way, Grammon's only damage, besides glass cuts, was a wound to his left shin. His dominant emotion throughout his brush with death, he recalls, was feeling very alone with no one to help me but myself. Remarkably, the gunman was still showing vital signs when EMS arrived. Sheer determination, it seemed, kept him going, for no evidence of drugs or alcohol was found in his system. He was transported to a trauma center where Grammons also was taken. They shared an ER bay with only a curtain between them as medical personnel fought unsuccessfully to save the robber's life.
At one point, Gremmons heard a doctor exclaim, We may as well stop. Every bag of blood we give him ends up on the floor. This guy's like Swiss cheese. Why'd that cop have to shoot him so many times? Gremmons thought, He just tried to kill me. Where's that part of it? When Gremmons was released from the hospital, he said, I walked out of there a different person. Being in a shooting changes you. Killing someone changes you even more. As a devout Catholic, some of his changes involved a deepening spirituality and philosophical reflection, he said, without elaborating. At least one alteration was emphatically practical. Before the shooting, Grammons routinely carried 47 rounds of handgun ammo on his person, including two extra magazines for his Glock 21 and 10 rounds loaded into a backup gun attached to his vest, a 9mm Glock 26. Now, unfailingly, he goes to work carrying 145 handgun rounds, all 9mm. These include three extra 17-round magazines for his primary sidearm, which is currently a Glock 17, good choice, officer, plus two 33-round mags tucked inside his vest, as well as the backup gun. By the way, those uh, magazines would also work in the Glock 26, which is a very wise idea. Besides all that, he's got 90 rounds for the AR-15 that now rides in a rack up front. Some would call that paranoia. But Grammons, when confronted with that, shook his head and said, no. Preparation. Amen. Amen and amen. Officer Grammons, we are grateful to God that you survived that incident, that encounter, more than that, but the uh, we're grateful for the experience, even though it was tragic, even though it was very stressful for you, you took that experience and you began to use that to train other officers and teach them about the stressors of such incidents. Mr. Grayman said after the, uh, he, he uh, basically spoke about continued training for police officers. And he gave his perspective like this. He said, I realized very quickly after my incident that I wasn't as good as I ought to be. You should never consider yourself, quote unquote, good enough. If you have a chance to get to any school, even on your own dime, study what's going on out there and how to deal with it. He also gave some perspectives on post-shooting survival. Mr. Grammons is now a police commander at Skokie PD, and he recently shared these additional pointers with Police One for officers involved in a shooting. After you are involved in a shooting, every thought you are having is completely normal. Seek out and talk to officers who have been involved in shootings, and they will affirm this. Your survival started with the shooting. How you survive after the shooting is the continuation of your strength and perseverance. Now, if I might interject here, I do believe he's talking about the mental and emotional aspect of the incident, which is one of the primary stressors of these sorts of things. These are the sorts of things we expect. I said we expect police officers to involve themselves in at a moment's notice Regardless of whatever they're doing, stopping to buy a Star Wars game for their kids, stopping for a burger and a snack or whatever the case may be, stopping to use the restroom, 
suddenly thrust into these terrifying situations that we demand they involve themselves in on our behalf. So some more perspectives he added. He said, you are not alone in this part of your survival. There are so many professionals who are out there to assist you and make sure you have the right tools along the way. Go visit the store and get the tools and necessities you need for the survival trip. The sooner your post-shooting perspective turns to, how can I help my fellow officers, the sooner you will understand how much your incident has made you a better equipped officer for your job. Share your lessons learned, both good and bad, when able. He also said, always go to the hospital and get checked out post-shooting. Uh, there have been cases, might I interject again, where officers had a literally a heart attack during such incidents and still fought through the incident, not realizing what had happened to them, and collapsed and keeled over and passed away because of the heart attack they had had just minutes before while they were in the middle of a life-and-death incident like this. He also said, always have a lawyer with you for every part of the investigation process. For officers not involved in the shooting, phone calls and texts are nice, but writing a short note or sending a card to the involved officer will be remembered. Now, for the uninitiated, you might be wondering, why is this so important? Well, like Officer Grammons, these police officers get into these situations. They don't become cops with the attitude that they're looking for a reason to shoot another human being. That is not why they carry firearms. Every day that they go out into the world to strap on the badge and the gun and all the other tools necessary for their survival, every day they do that could be their last day, literally. And it has been on way too many occasions. I don't think any of us can truly understand the impact of having to take a human life, even if it was to defend yourself or others. It is a heavy weight upon the conscience, I can only imagine. And that's what he's trying to relay here as he speaks post-incident. He said, along those lines, officers involved in a shooting will not remember to do basic things due to the trauma, adrenaline, and anxiety. He counsels for them to write down simple instructions like, Wake up, eat breakfast, etc. Finally, he said, we need to let our egos go and simply help each other and support each other. Wise words from a survivor in blue, and we're grateful to God that he did indeed survive that stressful day and overcome the threat he was faced with. More than that, let us, you and I, who've never had to be in those situations, who have never pinned on the badge and strapped on the gun, how about we be a little more supportive of men like Officer Grammons, those who are out there in those situations daily? How about the next time we're faced with what we might consider to be a surly cop with a bad attitude? Uh, how about we stop and think for just a second that maybe they just came out of a crappy situation or maybe had one the day before, even a week before, a month before, even a year before like Officer Grammon said, he said it was it was years ago, but it could it, it could be ten minutes ago. That thing, that incident obviously always lives with him. I would dare say it he relives it day in, day out in some form in his memory. 
People, we ask a lot of all the Officer Grimans out there. We don't just ask, we demand that they put themselves in harm's way. In so doing, they shorten their lifespan, if not due to uh, being killed on the job outright, even if they survive the job, even if they make it through their career. The stressors like this take years off their life. Constant stress day in, day out is one of the most unhealthy things you could do to your body. How about we the people be a little more considerate, a little more concerned, a little more caring for those of whom we demand such action, such bravery, and such valiance. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Voice of the Blue. Join me, if you would, in a prayer for those who still stand on that thin blue line. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, to watch over all of the officers out there on that thin blue line. Watch over them, protect them, keep them safe from harm. Bring them back to their families tonight, we pray. Let today not be their end of watch. Place your guiding, protecting hand upon them, we pray. Amen.